I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. And if this is your first time hearing the show, it's a simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who helped shape who we are. Every educator we have on this show, whether it's a teacher, a coach, or a professor, is nominated by the folks who listen. We want you to be a part of this show with us. So please do, tell us about an educator who's inspired you or an educator in your community who deserves the spotlight. You can email us with your nominations and your story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. On this week's show, we are bringing you a classic episode of Teacher's Lounge. Don't worry, we'll be back in your podcast feed with a brand new, very special episode next week. And if you're hearing this on the day that it goes up, which is Friday, March 31st, you can also listen to the Teacher's Lounge radio show on 89.5 FM WNIJ or at WNIJ.org. And we've got awesome new segments that you can only hear on the radio, so check that out. But in the meantime, though, we are revisiting this classic Teacher's Lounge from the fall of 2021 with Jeff Pittner. He's a psychology teacher at Guilford High School in Rockford, Illinois. Pittner's also the coach of their very successful esports team, and I got to talk with him about how much that team has grown and how he's built that community. And I also talked to them about how his psychology classes have evolved as he's learned about restorative justice and how the pandemic has impacted the social dynamics of the classroom. So without any further ado, here is esports coach and high school psychology teacher, Jeff Pittner. I now instantly wish this wasn't a, a ditch, like an audio platform because I could see mass Danny DeVito standing behind you. <laughs> that was a student gift from a couple say, years back. Yeah. So you're in, this is in your classroom. Yep. Yep. Any, do we have any additional context behind why this was a gift a couple of years ago? Uh, <laughs> Just a I big had, fan, big always sunny um, fan? No, I'm not even really a huge fan, but um, one of the members of my psychology club was a huge fan herself. And uh, she just constantly made Danny DeVito jokes. And we had a guy on the esports team that was constantly making egg references. So naturally, Danny DeVito got brought into the egg discussion. As you can, he is holding an egg there. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. He is. A little plastic egg, because these are indeed trying times. So <laughs> they felt it was appropriate to get me a life-size Danny DeVito cutout. Um, that I could hold on to. They all signed the back of it, so they all uh, can remain part of the classroom forever. So we wow. go. Um. That's beautiful. <laughs> See, I remember. I remember back in the day, it was like you'd sign like a like a tie a ceiling tile. Yeah. But I, th- I this is so much better than that. I feel like everyone should just like pick a random celebrity <laughs> cardboard cutout. <laughs> we had uh, we watched uh, a scene from the movie Matilda that he directed and starred in. Yeah. And so that became, uh, as we were discussing how uh, parenting styles works in class. And so it became kind of a, a reference that she kept making throughout the year. And then I had her the following year for the advanced placement class. And she stayed involved in the club just because she wanted to you know that connection was there. And we got to grow together and make more jokes about Danny. <laughs> I love it. Okay, hang on. You know, let me see. I might have some Danny DeVito related finger. Hang on. Let's see if I can show it to you. Here we go. <laughs> i got this as a christmas gift from my brother like two years ago so we have this you, you can you know you can make it seem like an, an innocuous nice pillow but then boom, Danny DeVito shows the more up. important pillow yeah absolutely so this is this has been one of my main co-workers as i've been working remotely for the last 18 months I spent a lot of time bonding with danny oh uh, yeah danny definitely was the first thing i brought home from my classroom when we went remote right after covid hit and uh, i put the mask on him shortly after that and to be appropriate in the moment um <laughs> And he's been uh, rocking it ever since. So 
he's definitely a permanent fixture of the classroom. I talk about leaving some space in my room for my kids to become part of my classroom forever. Uh, I have, we used to play more of a gamified edition, uh, a game called Classcraft, where kids got a digital avatar that they could then participate in the class with and be a way to represent themselves more authentically in some cases. But uh, I take like a team photo from that app and put it on my wall so they get to sign that and become part of my classroom. But uh, due to new regulations and restrictions, I don't think I'm allowed to use that app anymore. So I need to come up with some other way to make them part of my room forever other than just their stuff and uh, projects and paintings and such they made before. You need to get like a like a, tw a twins Danny DeVito movie poster and have them sign that or something? Give me an Arnold statue next, I guess. I would, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a rumor I heard they were considering doing a sequel to Twins. <laughs> I was gonna say you said Matilda is a, is I didn't know that yes. he directed that movie too. He directed it, and uh, one of the heartwarming elements of that is uh, the star who was playing Matilda. Her mom was drastically ill during the filming of the movie, and they thought she wasn't going to make it to the moment the movie was released. And so he hurried production to be done well, of course, but just so he could get a rough cut put together so mom could watch it while she was on her deathbed. Oh my God. So, uh, yeah, they made sure to do that for her, and she did die before it released. So it was a, a great moment that was. Um, I mean, it's a good, like, teachable moment to share with kids, too. Like, this is the kind of person he is that, you know, he looks like this terrible person on TV with how he just doesn't care about his children. Well, right. at least one child he doesn't care about. But yeah, um, that's fascinating. You know, Matilda is one of those movies, you know, as someone that they grew up in the early 2000s and the 90s that, like, I never saw Matilda, but Matilda was one of the trailers on, like, the Flubber VHS that we had. <laughs> so, like, I've seen it so many times that I feel like I've seen Matilda, but I don't think I actually have. I, I'm pretty sure I've only seen scenes that I've used in my classroom. I'm in that same kind of boat. You know, I was born in 83, so... Uh, I've definitely seen the VHS trailer for it and I'm busy hitting fast forward and seeing it happen quickly as it went by. And really, honestly, back then, obviously, Danny DeVito wasn't as big of a deal. Like he became cult classic, especially yeah. with Always Sunny. But uh, like I said, I use it as a, a reason, uh, a connection for the kids. And a lot of the kids today have seen it still, which is still kind of interesting to me. These kids being born in the uh, post 2000 era for sure uh, you know 2005 2010 some of the you know kids as they're coming in yeah. to high school we're not there yet at the 2010 range but it's coming soon you know we all have those moments when we realize we're starting to get long in the tooth and for me you know that started happening when i was in arizona teaching my first teaching job was out in arizona and um i want to say 2008 2007, 2008, uh, that school year. And I started to realize that, oh, these kids were uh, born about the time I was graduating high school. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. even right away from the start, I was like, ah, oh, here it goes. It's happening already. <laughs> it happens It happens quickly. You know, I was even thinking about it, especially you'll appreciate this since, you know, you do so much esports work that like how quickly technology moves in the classroom. We're like, you know, I graduated high school in the early 2010s. And I was thinking about like, okay, you know, like what were the big video games back when, cause you started the esports, you know, as just like a video game club, right? Like over 10 years ago now, right? Uh, well, I, give or take at my first school, I did do it. So out in Arizona yeah. in that 2008, I definitely was running a gaming club because yeah. I did a similar thing when I was in high school. It was actually part of our Bible study club. So oh, we'd really? have the Bible study club. And then afterwards we'd play GoldenEye and the N64. Uh, and Unbelievable. then- I love it. Some kids would just show up for that. And it yeah. was great. It was a good time. We got to have an authentic discussion first and then transitioned into playing games together. And then 
um now it morphed into more the gaming thing and you know as the gaming statistics have shown the vast majority of everybody is playing them at least once a week and especially at the teenage age uh so being able to tap into that and giving those kids a place to be is huge Uh, i remember two years ago this moment just sticks with me i just shared it with a student yesterday we walked into our gaming club this kid it was his first time ever coming to the club he he asked me about it i escorted him down i walked him down i said okay let's go and i'll show you where it's at and it's in the library and he walks in he sees the people there he sees some kids playing games over here some more kids playing games over there and he stops he drops his things he raises his hands in the air and he goes my people i am here i have found them and everyone just kind of looks at him and goes hey and it's just a great like welcoming moment because just bring them in the fold and then they all started singing the halo theme together and that oh for me gosh. i was like oh it's, it's a bit cringy much for me, it, but- and if you know the halo theme song that's like way eerier than what you think if you don't know that song <laughs> it's very operatic and orchestral and it's very just much so. a room full of voices filling the air wow. and then just laughter following immediately after and it was just a phenomenal moment that just created something just like this is why i'm doing this right that i am here with these kids for these kids in the place they need me to be and as another staff member put it to me one time they uh they said look if we're not doing what the kids are doing we're doing them a disservice so offering gaming for them this is what they're doing this is what they're part of and we get to be kind of the arbiters of success and communication especially when it comes to esports because these many of the kids at home the parents leave leave them alone when they're doing it they're not part of that process they're not there doing what the teachers touch on top of it of uh proper communication proper uh, human interaction etc and so to them it's perfectly acceptable to say something derogatory towards somebody's mother or about somebody's status whatever that might be because that's just how it is they watch some videos and that's how people are but in the esports space i get to look at a kid and go no you don't yeah. get to do that. That's Listen, not okay. This isn't Xbox Live circa 2008. We were all there. We're still recovering. So as with one kid, I basically had to, well, we were at a live event in Chicago. We were um, playing a large esports tournament. Uh, there was about, I want to say 20 to 30 uh, schools there. And it was wild for some, it was the first time they'd ever done a live event like that before. A lot of these kids aren't playing in traditional sports. And so when they finished their match, we lost, we got blown up. We got destroyed. This happens mm-hmm. in every sport. I've coached football yeah. at what, what at the time was the second worst program in the state of Arizona. So I'm used to losing, you know, it's about losing with grace. But then when we finished the game, I said to my guys, okay, get up, go shake their hands. And they looked at me like, why would we do that? They just destroyed us. I'm like, no, go shake their hands. It's what you do. That's the next step of sportsmanship. And one of my guys that was in traditional sports, like right away, yep, coach, let's go. And then the other kids just kind of followed suit. And the other kids looked at us like, why are you shaking our hands? I was like, come on guys, this is, we just finished the game. We're saying, Hey, good game. And that moment, like opened their eyes a little bit, like, Oh, there's other people on the other side of the keyboards that we're playing against. (laughs) Yes. As the third baseman on a last place uh, baseball team in high school, I've been on the other end of some really nice, you know, uh, good game handshakes. (laughs) My kids always, uh, they, you know, I tell them my acumen of the past. You know, I was a football coach. I started that when I was student teaching. I was a football coach uh, for a middle school football team. I was working at the high school doing my student teaching, but I also worked at the middle school doing football. And so I did that. And then I go to Arizona. I coach more football and I'm also doing chess. So I'm the guy that's doing football. I'm coaching the offensive line. And then I go do chess uh, the next week when the football season's over. And then I do the gaming club on Friday. And so it's just a little bit all around the place. Like, how are you doing? Like, it's, it's, it's not really that different of a mentality when you think about it. You're really just helping the kids 
through their own metacognition. You're helping them through the process of why did I do that when I did that? Is there something I could have done better? Is there something I could have done different? Am I the world's best chess player? No, but I can see a couple bits ahead of myself and see a little bit in the future of uh, seeing where the moves could go. And I really, one of the best coaching moments I ever had, I honestly never saw what happened with the kid. I just walked over to his board uh, during one of our practice scrimmages against another team. And I looked at said, why did you make that move? And I just came from the bathroom or something. I don't know where I was. So I come over, why did you do that? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, you saw that. Yeah, I was thinking I should have gone back and done this instead. And then he's telling me all about the reason why he did what he did. And now he's in that space. That's our place. That's our guidance that we need to bring them to. And especially in the world of esports, a lot of coaches are concerned. I don't know this game as well as these kids. These kids are better than me at this game. But I mean, is there a football coach standing around saying, I bet I could be better than these kids right now? I mean, there might be a couple, right? But yeah, no, Nick, Nick Saban is not lining up against anybody. So like, yeah. yeah. At some point, you have to have that realization. Oh, I'm here to guide them and help them find what they need and be inspiration if necessary. But it is different in that way because the kids look at you and they feel that barrier has been removed. The physicality isn't required to that level. It's more dexterity and things of that nature and knowledge, game sense, et cetera. And so they... At first, when we started the program many years ago, thankfully, we are IHSA official this year. So we are on the list, just like the robotics, just like um, the quiz bowl, just like chess as an activity that the IHSA sponsors. This year has like the first IHSA state series for esports, right? Correct. Uh, There was a secondary organization called the Illinois High School Esports Association that's run by uh, a teacher out of the Chicago Public Schools uh, that he's a phenomenal individual. They just ran a big symposium this summer about like uh, growing esports and how to manage your team and things like that. It's it's great. Uh, But there was a state series uh, that it was run by them. So it was run by us for us, essentially. But now yeah. it's IHSA putting their big stamp of approval on it. And for a lot of schools, that's all they needed before they were going to start participating. And, you know, we've had kids get scholarships for playing. And it sounds ridiculous. You look back, I'm thinking back to myself as a kid getting get off that video game. What's that ever going to do for you? Uh, go do something exactly. productive with your time. Stop hitting your brother, whatever the case is. And then now it's into, hey, I had a kid that just got a full tuition scholarship to go play at the college level. And he wasn't like the world's best player. He's a good player. He's a, you know, he's got a great mentality. He's got a great work ethic and he's getting his college mostly funded. And it's just phenomenal just because he's, it's just like, like I explained to a lot of folks, we had some arguments when we had his big signing, we made a big deal out of it as a school. And I'm glad we did. Yeah. I saw an article when he was the first person, I think his name was, his name was Zach Diamond. I think. I, yes, I, I noticed that because I'm like, that's the coolest name of all time. There's no way that's a real name. That's why it stuck with me just now. His story is a phenomenal one. That's at, it's, and you know, you always hear coaches say like, here's this moment with this player that we just kind of hit it off. But his and mine is definitely one of those classic stories you hear of like coach and player working together. He comes to me freshman year and says, I know you guys have esports. I know you do league of legends. That's the game that we play. That's the, the it's, it's the number one esport in the world, but it's the big one for all the scholarships. All the colleges are trying to run that one. Yeah. And he says to me, you're doing league. I'm not very good at it. Uh, I'm a fairly low rated player. I've only been playing for a couple of weeks or maybe a month, but I'm going to work with you and I'm going to dedicate working with you for the next four years. And I want to be the first person from this school to get a scholarship. And I said, I'm there for you. Let's do this. 
you know, and then we started that conversation. We had that friendship that we developed over that time. And we still talk like he's been, you know, he's, he's graduated. He's a sophomore now at college, but uh, I just talked to him several times today. You know, he was sharing some things that he wasn't certain about with his college coach and about his roommate situation, all that kind of life stuff. And we just have that connection still. And it's great to be able to be that person for him that when he sees these needs or issues or wants to share a joke that I'm there for him. That's and I'm like glad a two like two you know uh movie script perfect conversation <laughs> to have right it's very like tim tebow i'm going to be the yep. hardest working player in the country type of thing where you're like i'm going to be the first person to get a scholarship it's almost it, it's too perfect that that actually ended up to happen a little different than the year before when a student approached me and said hey actually i'm at home injured right now i broke both of my legs during pe class but i want to be on the team <laughs> and I mean, he did he was just running the track one day he fell hit awkwardly and both of his legs broke and nobody believed him they started bringing him told him to walk he's like it hurts really bad They're like oh yeah you're hurt <laughs> and then they yeah, out, you broke that both your legs and he got to be a wheelchair for a bit he was homebound for a bit but you know he came back and did well with the team. He helped uh, lead the team. He played with a lot of, grew a lot of friendships through the process, but uh, he ultimately didn't pursue. He wanted to move into more journalism when he was out. So uh, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, off at uh, Minnesota now, but his brother's on the team. So uh, we can still have some connection in that way. It's great seeing the next generation, you know, their, their siblings coming in and already kind of having a, they know they want to be part of it instead of, Hey, what is this thing? Yeah, and it was a tough, I mean, obviously you think about uh, transitioning different things during the pandemic and when you had to do things remotely, having to bring the esports remotely in some ways makes a lot of sense, right? Like that's just like what online gaming is for the most part, is people on their own doing that. But especially for you as a coach, that brings a completely different dynamic when you're not like in someone's ear being like, hey, what, what, what was that movie just made? What was, the, can you explain that to me? That probably brought about a pretty different dynamic. It was effective uh, for, but it was also at the same time concerning in its equity access. There was a lot of kids yeah. that we uh, provide the access for, especially when it comes to a game like League of Legends. That game takes a ton of time to learn. A ton, yeah. it's, it's a very heady game, we'll say. It's yeah. not skill dependent, but Strategic. it's a lot of work. Yeah. And I had a lot of kids that um, they don't have their own computer at home, so they can't play the game. Uh, but we were fortunate as a district, they made a decision years ago, we didn't know it was we called it the Wild West of gaming. We didn't know what the future was like, we didn't know if there's going to be live events where you invite the other school over like a track meet, and then you have a head to head face to face, you know, match and the parents are in the stands, whatever the case is, we're still figuring that out, by the way, of course, uh, yeah, but I can imagine. <laughs> But we didn't know. So we didn't know, is it going to be bring your own device where everyone just loads up their machines and off they go to the other school? So we bought laptops. Uh, we bought uh, gaming laptops. They're high quality machines. They're not top of the line, but they're, they're good. And so we were able to, during that time, I worked it out with the district. I talked to IT. I talked to the legal team, et cetera, et cetera. We worked it out that we could check the machines out to the kids. So right. uh, I had some kids participating that would not otherwise be able to do so, especially in a remote setting. Uh, there, we did have some internet issues, of course, uh, during a match where we had to request a pause because somebody's internet died or somebody flipped a switch and accidentally kicked out the power or whatever the case is. Uh, but it was fortunate that we are thinking in that way as a district and I encourage other groups to do so as well and one of the groups that we allied with in the past there's a national organization that runs out of University of California uh, I want to say out of Berkeley but I'm not sure which campus it's out of called the the national 
uh, well, it's NASEP. It's a the it's a national esports federation that focuses on the academics first. So right. they're saying these are scholar gamers. They're not just gamers. We're also trying to influence the academic side of things and how we can use that and create curriculum around it. Now we're not at the point in my district where we're hitting them on the curriculum part, which that pipe dream that would be amazing to do. You know, a little Hogwarts school of esports would be a fantastic environment to be part of because everything we want our kids to learn is a big part of what these games offer for the kids, especially the hyper-competitive games. When it comes to uh, the League of Legends game that we play or the other team-based games that we play, the kids have to communicate to be able to play well. They have to anticipate what's going to be coming next. They need to calculate a bit of, am I able to do what I'm trying to do? Or is the enemy going to damage me faster than I can damage them, et cetera. So there is kind of those just little considerations they need to make, but it is heavily dependent on the strategy and the communication. That's 90% of my job is working with the kids in their communication saying, okay, if you're doing this, you need to let your teammate know that you're on the way and so on. So it's the same thing that we want from our kids to learn. And a lot of the soft skills talk we have as educators, like they're doing it in these games, but they need us to guide them to get there because they're not there yet. Yeah, no, I would bet. I mean, for pretty much because one of the you have like four games or so that you guys do competitively have teams for. Is it? Uh, hang on, is it? It's League, it's uh, Rocket League, Smash, and Two K. Yes, for this year, due to uh, the IHSA committee, that uh, every year they visit uh, the games that are, I'm on that committee, yeah. uh, so I have a little bit of that insider knowledge. But uh, it's part of the bylaws that they will revisit every year which kinds of games we want to offer. We don't want to be tied to the companies that make these games, sure. uh, because there's uh, as Riot Games and Activision have uh, had come out recently, they've had some very significant concerns professionally uh, as far as their leadership is concerned, and so we don't want to marry ourselves to those games and say, "Oh." Well, we're stuck with this game well who cares what they do as people yeah. we want to work with the kids i'm like well what you do matters and so we're putting our money where our mouth is and so that's why the state itself is not running a league of legends uh championship mm. there's a lot of rules involving uh the riot games company that makes league of legends has very strict rules about who is or is not allowed to do a state championship and ultimately we decided not to partner with the people they forced us to partner with okay. um so my kids are still participating in that, but it's not officially under IHSA banner. Um, we're playing with that company because just the amount of scholarship opportunities for our kids, and we've had so much success with it in the past, I feel like we're not helping our kids enough if we don't allow it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we have those discussions. Okay, like, okay, this is what they're accused of. Let's look at some of that and talk about it and why your online presence matters and things like that. And what you say and how you say it makes a big difference. Yeah. But uh, with the other three games, the purpose we chose those ones for Rocket League, we were looking at a game that was a small group environment. So we wanted to have the coaching element be a major factor. We wanted to have um, people be able to communicate with each other and have the coach be able to manage that kind of communication where it's not just a one versus one head to head matchup. Cause I mean, yeah, you can coach a one V one, uh, like a tennis coach can do one V ones with their players, you know, and work with them on their skills and such, but it really ultimately comes down to player skill. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to work down to a way the coach has more hands-on activity with the kids. Right. And we went and really quick. I feel like I should say for people that don't know what rocket league is, Rocket League is essentially soccer with cars. Is that fair to say? Soccer with cars, and they have some special engines on them that allow yeah. them to do some fly around in the air stuff. 
Exactly. So it's it's got all the same rules of soccer. It's just you get to drive around real fast and fly around to hit the ball. It customize and your car, do all sorts of cool stuff. Customize yeah. your car for fun, but that doesn't change any of the performance, which makes right. it fair regardless of how much money somebody spent on the game. There's no advantage to spending money. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons we want that because that game is now free. So we wanted, once again, accessibility. We wanted every kid to have the ability to play that. It's available on pretty much every game console that's current as yeah. well as on computer. Uh, it's not on, well, there's a version coming for phone, but it's not the same. It's, yeah. And then the other games we mentioned, Super Smash Bros. is a uh, battle royale melee game with uh, all sorts of, uh, of, of different uh, Nintendo characters. And other uh, are there non-Nintendo characters that are involved? There are Smash several non-Nintendo characters. It's mostly considered to be a fighting game. So, you know, yeah, so, fighting game with, you know, Mario characters, you know, yeah. some Pokemon cameos, all the good stuff. And we then, included uh, that due to popularity as well as yeah. uh, having something that represents, because in within the scene already, there's already small one versus one as well as two versus two. So once yeah. again, coach input matters. Right. And then 2K is just the end. It's basketball. 2K, it's basketball simulated. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a 1v1 situation. The reason we included that one was we wanted to make sure every school felt like they had an opportunity to send somebody to the state tournament. And when it comes to looking at NBA 2K, well, there's a lot of kids. If you're just saying, well, I don't know how to do esports. We don't have computers on hand. We can't do this league thing. Rocket League, I don't know if we can get enough people. Smash, that takes a switch. We don't have a switch. So we could say, uh, well, NBA 2K, just bring a kid in a controller and they can go play. And that's an easy bar of entry. You know, the game costs 60 bucks uh, in, in console, you know, two, $300. So that's a lot lower bar of entry to most schools. Just grab some kids and say, hey, let's go play for the state championship. You guys are already right. playing it. We'll give you an authentic way to go about doing so. So that's why we included that. Now, when you look at the big picture of like what authentic esports is, some people get very mad about it, of course, because they're passionate. But that doesn't really, that game doesn't make the cut for like true authentic esports events and such. Um, but we wanted to include it because of the student uh, input. Like I said earlier, if the kids are doing it and we're not really supporting them in that way, we're doing them a disservice. That's a, because a, a you big, probably do get a different kind of, you know, you would definitely attract a, a different crowd that to play 2K rather than the League of Legends yes. crowd for the most part. And so, yeah, there's a definite distinct variation and it, and it can be easily drawn along socioeconomic lines just due to the requirements of what you need to play League of Legends. It does require a machine for a computer and it requires a good, consistent Internet access. But you can play NBA 2K. You don't need to be online. So just yeah. two people sit down on a TV and here they go. They play. Um, it's the same thing I do with my classrooms. Like in my psychology classroom, we talk about the learning process, how memory works, all this you know, great brain heady stuff. Right. And I tell my kids the first unit we do every year is always on memory and or learning. So how do we learn? And then how does memory work? And then I turn it right back around to them. I say, here's the studies. Here's how it says we learn best. And I'm not doing my job as an educator. And I'm doing you all a horrible disservice, keep saying it, if I don't teach it the same way that the studies say it works best. So we try to actively practice these things that we're learning about in the classroom. And hopefully it's getting through to a lot of them. I see a lot of repeat kids faces in my classrooms and then to my clubs and things. So I think something about me, they appreciate. So I'm glad about that. They don't try to hide from me, yeah. uh, but it's definitely a huge part of the discussion. Like I'm, I need to do what the research is showing works with you. Otherwise, why am I teaching? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I trying to share the grand world knowledge with you? I, I originally wanted to go into teaching music, but I had a bad experience at college 
with the audition process. I didn't really like the trumpet professor at the school I was auditioning for, and I felt like that would have been a really uh, sore relationship over several years. So I transitioned into wanting to teach history. And I said, okay, if I teach history, I had this great, amazing uh, high school educator. He's still teaching today. It was great. I still keep in contact with him. Uh, we, we get together every once in a while. You know, Our kids get to play together. It's such a weird concept to think about this teacher you had years ago. <laughs> yeah. Your kids are out there playing with their kids, but it's it's just that authentic connection I had with them. And I said, how can I be that teacher for my kids? And mm -hmm. so I moved into history after that. And then, well, good luck finding a job teaching social sciences uh, at about that time. And still now, it's still a difficult position to really look for. Um, and when I finally got here to my school in Rockford, after a year or two of teaching basically everything they needed me to teach, which is 90% of what we offer in a department, uh, one of the teachers said, hey, uh, we have an extra section of psychology. Do you want to teach it? And I said, uh, a, a course that kids sign up for on purpose as an elective and about things that are naturally fascinating to me and to a lot of people, like, why is nobody else wanting to teach this? Why am I the only one that's saying yes? And he said, I don't know why either. I like teaching it. And so eventually he left the building to go work uh, downtown. He got some promotions. And so I just kind of took over for that position. Now I'm, you know, the psych guy. There's always a psych guy involved or psych lady, whatever the case is. But it was uh, a great moment. I just felt like it was you know, the door opened for me to move forward and just kind of grow into what I was teaching. And especially when I started seeing those elements of what I was teaching working, you know, that big moment for a lot of newer teachers when they say like, okay, you know, here's the method. If you do it this way, you're going to learn it. And then it works. You're like, oh, how did this happen? It, it worked the way it was supposed to. You know, I tried this intervention with a kid and now they're like, they're better. It's working out. I don't understand. But the light switches on. And I had a moment, I was working with my AP class, I went to a great AP training seminar, and I came back and started using some of those methods. And then I read an article online as I was doing some of my own professional development, and it was talking about questioning why you're assigning an assignment, essentially, is what it boiled down right. to. Are you wanting your kids to learn from this assignment, or do you just want them to do it so they can get some points? And and then it says, well, what is the kid getting from that message? And so I challenged myself right then. I said, okay, all the work I've been doing, I was always big on saying everything you do is worth a purpose. You know, it's always going to be points put into the computer. It was always like the big statement I'd make to my kids. And then it turned into more of a shift into um, why are we learning this? Like, what is the purpose of what you are actively doing right now? Are you doing this because you want to know more, because you want it to connect to something, because you want to do well on an exam, or do you just want to do this to get the five points in the grade book and move on with your life? Right. And I really started retooling a lot of what I was teaching, especially at the AP level. Like I'm trying to encourage the learning process. I'm not just trying to encourage the compliance of doing the work. And so I took out a lot of those daily activities that I thought were so essential. We still did them, but they weren't worth points. And so, yeah, some kids are hesitant at first. They don't really want to do it. But I wanted to then replace it with authentic feedback. And instead of just saying, okay, you get five points or three points, it's now I'm giving you specific directed feedback that was communicative in nature, where it's like, hey, I see you did this. I really appreciate you did that. However, I'm concerned when you do it this way, that it's not really uh, helping you learn it deeply. So if you do it this way next time, it'll help you. And that was very time consuming. But it was well worth it. And a lot of my kids got a lot out of that to the point where I said, like, I got to keep doing this. You know, another one of those light bulb moments of like, oh, it's working. I need to keep 
pursuing this. We need to move forward. And I was told, I've never really looked at the numbers myself, that my kids ended up doing the best in our district on the AP psych exam. I was like, okay, I, I hope it's because I'm doing well and they're learning well with what I'm doing, but I can't verify and confirm anything in that way. So I just, it just reaffirmed what I was doing that, oh, they're learning more and it's lasting longer when I'm doing it this way, that we're talking about it and we're learning it and learning it authentically and deeply. Right. Who would have thought that for a psychology class, self-reflection would be important, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, we absolutely added that, uh, that metacognition piece. And I've really, I started using that with my team. And it was very effective for them when they started really kind of analyzing, why am I doing what I'm doing? And for many of the kids, it's the first time they've ever considered something like that. You know, they just kind of go through their lives and go forward. As my uh, 12-year-old son likes to tell me all the time, he just kind of says, like, why does that matter, Dad? Like, why are you saying this? Like, it, it, there's no purpose. There's no point. Why does bedtime exist, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I had to kind of rationalize that same kind of thinking about thinking moment like we like to do as educators. And he looks at me and goes, you are a teacher, aren't you? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, it's funny. I was, I was thinking about that because actually earlier today, I was having a conversation with a teacher who's a, a high school biology teacher. And they were working for the past year or so with some research groups and some other folks about uh, incorporating uh, media literacy within their curriculum and within uh, you know, several different you know, topics and, and several different classes. But specifically, you know, pretty important time to be talking about like health misinformation right during a pandemic but she was talking about how wonderful it felt to not just have like we were talking about like why are we doing the things we're doing why are we teaching things the way that we are where when you're you know are, are am i teaching something just so someone can get to the end of the unit and then they're kind of going to abandon that information afterwards and then just move on to the next thing or something that's with media literacy and, and the thing that she was talking about was, okay, not only is this something that I'm going to actively practice outside of the classroom, but it's something that I'm going to be learning in the classroom and then bringing home and being like, hey mom, there's something I learned today that's not only interesting, but I think you could also use this information. <laughs> I encounter that quite frequently with a lot of the units we talk about. I usually send a letter home and say, hey, Lou, we're going to be talking about these subjects. Be aware. I'm not attacking who you are as a parent. Uh, when we talk about oh, parenting no. styles and yeah, they say exactly. like, okay, here's the effect that this parenting style has on this kid. And the kid sees one example and they go, well, they did that because of this and they're connecting dots the wrong way. And they're not realizing the big picture of the parenting style is very nuanced and it's not just cut and dry like a lot of our kids want to experience. And uh, so I'm trying to show them the experience and say, you know, kind of guide them along that path. And uh, we talked the other day about uh, there's no real measurement of a country beyond economic data. And right. we read uh, a piece from positive psychologist and talked about uh, he wrote an article like in 2004 talking about why we need to have some kind of social capital scale or some kind of international happiness index and saying that should be how we measure countries and looking at they, that the people we elect should be serving the people not only for their financial gain but also to be aware of their brains to be aware of their quality of life to be aware of their purpose and so we challenged our kids to kind of think in that same way and at first the kids were like this is weird like this it felt heady but at the same time right. they were feeling like you know what that it does kind of matter. I said, you know, like if you're trying to pick a place that you would like to live at and you find out in one country, they value uh, the experience that a person is going through versus only how much money they've raised for the country that year. Um, I mean, there's a value to it discussing that. There's no reason why not. But 
kind of moves into that next step of worrying about others around you. And I don't remember off the top of my head what the name of the effect is, but there's a moment when we start to become aware in our lives that every single other person we encounter has a full and enriching life, just like you do. So yeah. the person you just passed by in the car one time, they're having a life just like you. And to you, they're just that idiot that got in the way. But to them, you're the idiot that got in the way and they're living their own life that's full of values and worries and wants and desires and love and tragedy. But it's such a weird moment and just mind blowing when you realize, oh, everyone else is that like that, too. It truly is. And I, I specifically for, for as a journalist, I think about this all the time. And as I was getting into the business, I, I think about it more and more where you're just every day talking to different people, having conversations. And, and it has gotten to the point where sometimes I joke where if I'm like going for a walk at night, like in the neighborhood with my girlfriend or something, and we'll like see someone like walk in their house and I'll be like, can you believe they have their whole thing? They have a whole life. They've got their whole thing going on that I don't know anything about. And we're just up. this five seconds of looking out the window. Who's that? I haven't been invited <laughs> to their life at all. How messed up. <laughs> that yeah, happens day by day, millions by millions. And it just, it's, it's hard. You can almost get overwhelmed when you really think about that, but it is, right. it's incredible to think that yeah. just the, the branching out effect of the impact you can have on somebody's life. And as a teacher, we can't like take that for granted. We can't take that even we do need to consider that because we are going to have quite the swath of lives that have been affected through our experience. And what is that going to look like? Is that going to be the guy that was demanding compliance in his classroom and not necessarily demanding learning? Uh, are you going to have the person that's actually authentically getting to know their students? I've started using more um, restorative justice training in my classroom and just getting to know my students is completely different now than it used to be. I thought we had good discussions and I knew who they were, but I still had five kids in every room that I could barely tell you their name by the end of the year. What are some and of the big things with that restorative justice piece that have really been eye-opening for you? Just how much the kids want it. That's the part that really hit me hard with it. Like I started using, I was like, ah, this could be something. I'll give it a try. I went through some great training and learned how to officially go through it, but you don't really need the authentic training that just helps you kind of get over the initial hesitancy. Cause there's kind of a script when you go through a lot of these discussions, but then it opens up to wherever the kids want that discussion to go. And we had uh, a discussion the other day, um, talking not necessarily about classroom rules, but we made classroom agreements to one another. And the reason behind that psychology, but coming back at it, that if the kids are part of that process that creates the agreements that they operate under, they're more willing to follow those agreements. They feel like and they have a sense of ownership towards those rules. Absolutely. And what goes beyond that to make all of those, uh, the administrator checkoffs on the, the list of uh, things they're looking for, observable things in the classroom, when they make those agreements to each other, they're also much more willing to call each other out on. So if somebody's not adhering to the rules and they came up with those rules, then they're going to point at each other and say, hey, right now we agreed to do this and you're not doing that. That's affecting me. I had a kid one year, the agreement was, I'm looking off our, I think it's one of them that we have this year, um, that they needed to be, oh, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but let's use the phrase considerate of one another was what they agreed to. Because the question that prompts that discussion is just, we talk about what kind of a person are you when you're at your best? And so every kid shares the five things that describe them when they're at their best. And then at the end of it, you're going to be blown away. If you just do this, even with a group of like five kids, and you just say, when you are at your best, how do you describe yourself in five ways? And you hear them talk about those five ways. You're like, 
this is an awesome person. I want to get to know this person. I want to spend time with this person. Every kid in the room is amazing. Even your most hard scrabble kid that doesn't really want to participate. If he's willing to open up, she's willing to open up and tell you these five things. You're like, no, this kid's cool. Like, I want to know this kid. I want to grow with this kid. We can definitely build something here. Uh, I, that's the same reason I don't listen to any advice from other teachers about the kids coming into my room the next year. Uh, they say, hey, you've got so-and-so coming. I can tell you something. No, don't tell me anything about that kid other than their name. That's all I need to know. And then beyond that, I'm going to find out who that kid is. And that's a lot of work. But the kid, after they saw this moment, somebody wasn't really responding properly in a discussion. They felt like somebody wasn't given their proper due. And they said, hey, let's say Johnny, Johnny. Look at that wall. We have those circles put on the wall with the agreements we made to each other. You're not doing that one that says considerate. He goes, oh, my bad. And then just kind of backs off and diffuses the situation. And just that moment, like, oh, they, it does work. Like I said earlier, like that moment when you realize that the research actually works and it's real <laughs> and it's happening. This, this thing is happening right before my eyes. I didn't realize it. And it's, and there it was. And the kids called each other out. And at first they might joke around with it because, you know, I kind of encourage it. Like, hey, you see somebody being disrespectful, call them out and say, hey, I'm not at my best when you're disrespecting me. You heard me what I said when I was at my best, that I was funny, that I was a leader and so on and so on. But you're not respecting me. So I can't be a leader right now. And they're joking at first. They laugh. But then it becomes more real as they keep doing it. And they do it again and again. And suddenly it's no longer a joke. And they, they see that it's helping them. Last year, you probably, you probably had some remote learning. You probably had some hybrid, I, I imagine, for most of it. You were I mostly think hybrid. Mostly yep. hybrid, right? Mm -hmm. Of how, especially in a psychology class or sociology class, when you're, you're going through these kind of more heady topics and, and doing a lot of self-reflection and examination and talking about like the actual dynamics of what the classroom looks like and, and changing that environment to something that is hybrid where you have some people that aren't there. And even for the people that are there, it's limited amounts and you know people are wearing masks and maybe they don't know how to maneuver that right away. Mm -hmm. How big of a, of a overall change was it in terms of just the sociology of the class itself and how you interact with it and how they interact with each other? I mean, even now, now that we have all the kids back in person every day, it's still the classroom itself just feels drastically different. There's just more on their minds. You can yeah. definitely see it. The, the, there's kind of that stress on their face all the time of I've got to do this. I've got to do that. But it's the classroom, honestly, is pretty quiet. Like I don't have to do as much classroom management as I used to. Um, especially when I was, when I'm teaching psychology being an elective, since the kids select to be there, it's not exactly a place that a lot of the more, the most difficult students end up, but I, you know, I get a fair share of them here and there. And I've had them years ago when I was teaching the requirements or the repeater classes, whatever the case is, but, um, especially with the COVID restrictions that <sighs> some days I just look out at the class and I'm just met with a, a blank wall. You know, right. And when we did full remote days for a while last year, we had a, a surge and we just didn't have enough substitute teachers available. So everyone got sent remote. And here I was trying to talk to a class, trying to bring something for the kids because I knew they needed it. And it was tapping. It was bottoming me out for sure that I was putting, you know, years ago, I was given that suggestion of don't put more into it than the kids are putting into it. Uh, and you know, don't exhaust yourself when it's just ultimately not working with the kids. Uh, but I knew, especially last year, they needed it. They needed something more. They needed to feel some sort of normal. So we tried to do an online circle discussion where I gave everyone a chance to speak. But when the kids aren't turning on their cameras, I had maybe one or two kids total out of 150 kids that ever turned on their camera. Uh, and 
so I'm trying to encourage them to speak in order, but now we're just kind of waiting for somebody to type out a response. And some of them aren't at the computer, some are in the bathroom, some are wherever. And it just felt disconnected. And so this year with them being back and even the ones that did come back last year throughout the year when we were in person, it's just looking out at that stone wall again. And a lot of them just don't really feel comfortable speaking. Some of them because they feel muffled with the mask on or whatever the case is. And others just because they don't really feel comfortable speaking anyway. Right. Uh, but it definitely is more difficult for them to speak up right now. So I'm trying to use technology to kind of bridge that gap and give them even the, the kids that aren't as outgoing a chance to have a voice. And especially with the circles, every kid has a voice. And that's one of the most powerful things to an adolescent, to a young person, just knowing that somebody's listening to you, especially yeah. the kids from a troubled background, a troubled home, maybe they don't get to have a family dinner. And so they just they need some way to speak and know that others can hear them. Cause we've all experienced that moment. You're having dinner with some friends, you tell a joke and then nobody laughs. And then somebody next to you repeats the joke you just said. And then everybody laughs you're like, what the heck, man? Like that was yeah. my thing. And you're going to steal it. Is that because you hate me? And they start creating these stories. It's like, they just didn't hear you. But knowing that every person in the room hears you and what you have to say, and nobody's judging you right now is so big for the kids. I have kids that look at me, they'll come in and the start of class and go, can we do a circle today? We have to do a circle. I'm like, you guys are teenagers. Like this doesn't feel like what you or your age group would be saying, right? Yeah. But this kid comes in and says, I got to talk about something. We got to do this. I said, okay, no problem. Let's do it. And we just had a quick chat, took us three minutes of class and he got it off his chest. Or let's say, heaven forbid, there was a fight that happened during the lunch period. These things happen and the kids are going to buzz about it. That's, you know, that's part of that human interaction. They want to talk about it. Well, if I address it in that circle, well, now we're taking care of it in that three minute span. Nobody talks about it the rest of the period because they got it out of their system. They don't need to yeah. whisper about it throughout the whole day. So it's been really useful. I've started using it with my teams, these kinds of just discussions. It's just authentic human conversation. Yeah. And when you think about humans, everybody just wants the ability to know that what you say is being heard and that people care. That's all you need to know. And yeah. that's what this restorative justice really gets to. People try to make it into what it's not. Uh, just like uh, I'm also, uh, I've been taking some classes in uh, urban education from Rockford University. And we talk a lot about you know, the critical race theory is a big part of what we talk about there. And that's a big hot button issue and people get all worked up over it, but they're misunderstanding the real, the purpose of what it's trying to accomplish. And yeah. they're deciding that it's a buzzword and that it's not what it really is. Um, and so it's just another chance for me to have conversations with the kids. And right. that's, that's why I really value these kinds of restorative discussions. And I haven't really had the opportunity to use it with discipline. I know some have had a lot of success using it as a disciplinary action, uh, just a chance to kind of say, not why did you do this, but more so tell me where you're at. Uh, where are we going to go from here? How are we going to repair this damage? Because there's been some damage done, either physically or emotionally, but how are we going to resolve it? And the kids are great. I've, I've tried that with my own children. Even when he was four years old, I talked to my youngest son. I said, okay, your brother's hurt right now. How are we going to fix it? And he looks at me and he came up with a very deep answer. Like they know how to fix problems. It's just a matter of, we didn't give them the voice to do so before. We just say, go to the room, you're grounded. But instead I just get to talk to my child and say, how are we going to fix it? Like, okay, here's what happened. Here's how I felt during that time. How did you feel during that time? And then what are we going to do to repair that harm? And then 
you have a good discussion. And if he, you know, sometimes he's going to be dodgy or sketchy or try to avoid that answer, but really guide him towards a real, uh, where they are coming up with a solution and usually it's good. Uh, and then you could just say, okay, let's go do that. And, and then he went down and apologized for whatever the transgression was. I don't remember what it was anymore. No, nothing yeah. had to happen. And it resolved the problem. And he realized it mattered. His actions and words mattered. Yeah. And problem solving is something that I feel like once you break it down, just makes intuitive sense to people right away. Right. Like we think about it, even in my profession with journalism, there's a, a big kind of not quite a buzzword, but something that people talk about at conferences and stuff is, is solutions-based journalism, right? Where so much work is saying, there's a problem somewhere. And they're like, okay, well, we can do that. But why don't we also say, here's what experts say is how you can fix that problem as well, right? Attack it from both <laughs> angles. So yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to, to move that into the classroom too for different things. And I know you mentioned with, you know, having some kids that might feel like they're having a more difficult time lending their voice to conversations now that you've had some success with technology and trying to utilize that for it yep uh we have something that the district is paying for it's a an interactive essentially an interactive kind of powerpoint presentation we use it's called right. nearpod but yeah. uh so i can put a chance for kids to pop up answers and then i can filter them if i need to or not and then um they can just get their voice out there and there it's been said you can leave it anonymous um as long as you don't start the discussion with, hey, whatever you post is going to be completely anonymous, the kids are usually pretty good about it. Right. Uh, I've had a couple I've had to filter over, you know, due to not necessarily due to inappropriate content, but just just not directed enough content. Like the kids exactly. answer was no. They're like, <laughs> OK, so I'm just going to filter that out. We don't need to leave that answer up there when I'm asking a little bit deeper of a question. Um, so. There's uh, speaking to that this week, we've been doing circles just simple get to know you type kind of discussions like would you rather questions one of them that we had a great discussion on was would you rather have access to a teacher's lounge or would you rather be able to drive the school bus um, not necessarily prompted by uh, my school district not having enough bus drivers this year it just happened to be a fortunate accident thing yes but um and a lot of the kids like man i want to go in the teacher's lounge. that sounds great you know <laughs> <laughs> which uh, by the way not a plug for this particular podcast although now that you mentioned it it, it can be if you want that yeah. can you know, start off with the would you rather <laughs> But um, just having that discussion, but there was still like two or three kids that I could honestly not tell you what their voice sounds like. But right. then yesterday we had a chance to respond to a similar question on the screen. And so it looked like every kid answered, even the ones I'd never heard from yet. I saw that they'd been kind of writing their answers down on their paper, but they weren't sharing, but they didn't feel comfortable to say it. Now, possibly because it's been really humid the last week and a half here, and we don't have air conditioning. They promised that they're going to get it for us next year. Let's hope, fingers crossed. But uh, so definitely there was that overwhelming oppression of just, it's already enough just to exist in this room without having to post and say anything. Right. But I could move my fingers a little bit and type something out. Like, and so it gave voice to them yeah. in that way. And that is the difficult part about this particular situation, right? Is that like in the past, if you saw a class full of, you know, blank stares back at you, like you said, you, the whole, you know, I don't put in an, or only put in as much as they put in, you'd be like, okay, okay, I'm not going to exhaust myself over it. But now you look back and or you look out there and you see people completely just exhausted and you're like, yeah, I get it. Me too. A hundred percent. It's, it doesn't hurt you to address it. You say, hey, look, guys, I really need something from you right now. I'm not feeling it a lot today. I need a little more from us. It'll help me. And since I've had that discussion with the kids already, hey, I told you what I'm like when I'm at my best. Yeah. And you need to help me get there. So one of the agreements I made with them, the one I made for every class is you need to be present. 
uh, that's not just a physical discussion, but also a mental discussion. Like I know there's a lot, there's a million reasons why you don't want to pay attention right now. Uh, my class is probably the last thing you care about. And that's fine. I understand where you're coming from here, but I need you to be present because it makes me better. And if I'm better, you're going to enjoy the class more. Time's going to pass by more quickly and it's just going to be better for everyone involved. And some kids get it. And I had, <laughs> my kids were trying to quote unquote, do me a favor one year when an administrator was going to observe my classroom and they said, oh, we'll be on our best behavior teacher. We got you. <laughs> and teacher, the administrator comes in and they were on point. They were the most engaged I'd ever seen them in my life. And then the administrator left, they go, huh, how do we do? I was like, not only that, but how do you guys feel right now? And the one kid looks at me and goes like, this was actually really fun. Can we do this every day? I was like, what do you think I do every day? This is literally the same thing I do every day. I wasn't putting on a show. I was literally doing what we always do. Yeah. They go, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, I should probably pay more attention in here. <laughs> this sometimes just the, the blunt, honest wisdom you get from the kids is always, it cracks you up a bit. You know, and we, we always joke around as staff that like, man, if we ever wrote a book, of all the things, just the events, the moments that have happened in our classrooms that only other teachers would just, they'd hear be like, yep, sounds about right. But then other people might be, what, what, what happened in there? What did that kid say? And why did they, how they respond? Or like, no, that, that happens. Yep. We're used to it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what the platform of the show is in a lot of ways too, right? Actually. Yeah. I, like my mom is a, my mom is a teacher and actually we've had over 50 episodes of the show and we've been threatening to do it since the first one. And last episode of the show, I interviewed my mother talking about Saw it. Saw that she, on the feed. Oh, yeah, she, it's queued up for me. <laughs> it's, but she, you know, she's taught in everything from kindergarten to middle school music and everything. And, and she literally just texted me yesterday and was, was telling me a story of something of some kids said where, you know, like a pre-K student walked up to her out of nowhere and was like, are, are you mad at me? And, and she's like, no, what are you, what are you talking about? Everything's fine. She's like, because yeah, obviously they're wearing masks and everything she's like I feel like your eyes are angry and she's like okay I'm sorry I'll try to fix that I guess but I, I promise I'm not <laughs> I'll try to do my makeup in a more you know a, a yes. happy way I guess it's time for some clown makeup I guess something yeah, there. Right, so, right. Yeah. or just a I smiley did, face uh, mask or something yeah. right I, I was exploring the concept of one of those clear face type masks on the front part of it. Oh, uh, yeah. I did apply, there's the razor company, they make gaming peripherals, but For sure. they, they're making a heavily filtered uh, with glowing lights mask that uh, I applied to be part of their testing uh, wing of the, they're calling it a beta test, but it's a double filtered mask that's actively filtering. So it's, you know, it uses electricity and battery powered, but it has the open front mask. And I, I, I want to be able to have my students see me talk. But it's, you know, it's not a possibility right now. Uh, but that concept does speak to me and what I need. You know, years ago, I used to think like, well, why would I want to put on subtitles for something? And then I just had that moment of the light bulb. And I was like, well, not everybody speaks English. You're like, oh, yeah. Duh. Okay, subtitles. There you go. And that was just, that's all it took for me to, oh, yeah, every time. And um, I have a couple of kids that complain about it. I was like, well, it's not for you. I'll just, I could just play the old man card. Uh, you know, I'm not that old yet. I'm not, in my late thirties, but it's, I, I, I can't hear what they're saying. My ears aren't going so good. I just, I just listened to too much loud music when I was young, whatever the case is, Yeah. but uh, I get to play that angle a little bit. So no, that's for me. You know, just like when I make a joke in the classroom and the too kids much don't laugh. The and... 90s can't hear anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I I'll say something along the lines of, you know, I might make a joke. It might be a dad joke, whatever the case is. And if, if they don't laugh or respond to it, it's like, fine you don't need to laugh at that joke. That's, that's fine. That's for me. You don't need to laugh at it. And usually that elicits some kind of a laugh response. I said, no, 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 no. I don't need your pity laughter. I don't need your, uh, I feel bad for you moment. That's, that's, that's for me. I'm happy with myself. <laughs> 
I'm picturing the, 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 you know, open front of the mask where you, the clear one, I'm picturing like, I, I don't know if you're a football fan and you mentioned you coach football. So I'm assuming that you are of like last year when all the NFL coaches were having to wear masks and Andy mm-hmm. Reed, the coach for the this big uh, City, plastic the, shield, the big plastic shield that's fogging up and it needs like windshield wipers. You're trying to coach esports <laughs> while your windshield wiping down. <laughs> It was, uh, well, with the coaching last year, it was a little different since we were fully remote. Uh, So it was definitely, it was hard for me uh, with trying to interact with all the kids as best, except I couldn't see what they were doing. Uh, You know, someone who would try to like turn on the video feed so I could see what they were doing, but it wasn't always great. And just trying to be present in the moment, it was very difficult and very taxing last year, even this year. I mean, it's, it's been a constant drain, honestly, since March. Uh, however many years ago that was five years ago at this point right that's what yeah, it feels yeah. like and, and it's just how much has been draining and then but then when the first day of school rolled around this year I got a big jolt back of energy you know that's that's why we're in this profession you know we're in it for the kids and they're giving back to us uh, whether they realize it or not even that difficult kid that's causing some trouble when you see that the eyes light up and they want to contribute and they want to ask a question you go okay this is this is why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I want to do this. And all those questions you have going into a year as uncertain as this year is, it starts to move some. And I know there's a lot that have struggled this year. And I really just hope that they have someone that they can connect to and have an honest conversation with uh, about where they're at mentally, physically, et cetera. And so uh, and that's that's not just the psychology teacher and me talking there. That's the human. Yeah. Well, yeah, they need it. I remember last year, like in the late winter, early spring, you were saying, I think it was IEA, the Illinois Education Association, had this survey where they were like 33% of teachers are, are thinking about leaving the profession. And <laughs> I, I, I found myself onto an r slash teacher subreddit and that I, you know, I monitor every once in a while. Mm-hmm, and it just mm-hmm. seems like every single post is someone being like, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. And it is it, a especially going into what is already the third year of all this, I I don't blame anyone. Well, and being Illinois has got a little bit better plan than a lot of other states do. So we can definitely have that to kind of hold on to that. We do have some protections in place that we feel are scientifically valid, that are authentic and appropriate, uh, and that they are responding to our desires. Granted, there's a lot of things we wish we could have, like some of the things they're doing don't really hold up based on what the science is showing, but they're still doing just because that's what it looks like. You know, it's a little bit of security theater and safety theater. And there is something valid to that concept of feeling a little bit safer, but uh, it definitely, I feel like more needs to be done to, especially newer teachers, as we've known forever, the first several years of teaching are extremely volatile and can lead to a lot of burnout, lead to a Mm -hmm. lot of leaving the profession. And I've been on that subreddit frequently as well. And uh, that's, it's still a lot of those same posts are still there. Uh, you know, I was on there yeah. yesterday reading somebody's long diatribe about why they want to leave. Uh, and then some other people asking innocently, which was kind of made me chuckle a bit like, uh, so I just finished getting my master's. Uh, how do I start teaching high school? <laughs> like, okay. Uh, it's a little bit, I, I'm not going to say too late, but yeah. Read the room, not... <laughs> read the room a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. Or somebody else that asked, a. a a question that made me laugh quite a bit. I had to share with some friends. They said, uh, so I'm coming from a, a career in tech industry where I'm making six figures. Uh, how can I find a teaching job as a first year teacher in the, say, the $90,000 range? Oh, honey. <laughs> well, oh, dear. Um, you're going to have to look very far <laughs> and very wide. Far and, and wide. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's you know, actually 
I did want to bring this because, you know, this show is obviously a show where we interview educators who are nominated and, mm -hmm. you know, for a reason, because they're, you know, someone finds them inspirational or feel like they're doing really cool work. I remember you mentioned, you know, maybe a couple minutes ago about that teacher that you had in high school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that, that teacher, is, is he kind of someone that pushed you or, or helped you realize that teaching was something that you wanted to do? I'd say it's more the connection we had together is what I wanted to be able to give back. I felt like I was given something amazing. I had some tough uh, emotional struggles that I couldn't really come to grips with in high school. That just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. And he was definitely a, a constant figure. He was the leader of that, uh, the Bible study club that I was talking about earlier yeah. that, I mean, he was just in the room. He wasn't running the study, you know, like he wasn't like standing up there with the Pope cross and just kind of giving a speech. He was just kind of in the room. And if we asked him for input, he would help us try to, he played, uh, well, it'll seem almost inappropriate to say, but the devil's advocate, he played quite frequently in our discussions and he'd say, okay, you guys are talking about it from this angle, but what about this? You know, so he didn't yeah. really direct us in that way but he was always present he was always there he was always encouraging he tried to uh, involve us in discussions as if our opinion and voice mattered and that you know i talked to him personally when i was having those emotional difficulties i'm talking about and uh, as many high schoolers do for sure and he was he was there he was present he was attentive and like i said earlier he listened and that was huge to me. Not that I didn't feel like my parents listened to me. It's just that on this topic, I didn't really want to talk to my parents about. Yeah. And he was there for me in it. And then throughout college, I still continued talking to him. And I realized that like the way he taught it, the way he addressed it, once again, to wrap everything into what we've been talking about throughout, he taught history in a way that made me realize that these were not just names that existed in the past with one bit about their lives that mattered. They lived a full, enriching, fulfilling daily life, full of 24 hours a day nonsense. And all we remember about them is that, oh yeah, they once went on a boat and went to this place and put a flag in the dirt. Right. And so we tried to connected and he or tried he, to have us he invented the cotton and... gym <laughs> <laughs> oh eli oh yeah uh, but he had Shout us out eli whitney yeah <laughs> he had us acting the parts out so he said okay we're going to talk about the rise of this character to the throne so you pretend you're this person you pretend you're this person here's your inspiration let's talk it out and then as you're talking he'd add some more uh of the facts into how you would be responding and how it's just to see an authentic reaction of a human talking about it and you know we got to ham it up and mess around a little bit he's like oh and now she's giving you the googly eyes how are you gonna do now yeah. and so it was just and he put music behind it because he was a big uh he loved listening to movie scores and so he'd put the music behind it. He put out the old CD player, pop it on whatever track number he knew it needed to be on. And he would sync it up because he knew the music so well. So as he's telling us the story, the music's building, music's building until this big moment, crescendo, symbol clash. And then we, what the, what was it? Just because <laughs> he synced it up. Yeah, so we felt Hans the story Zimmer building. The War as, of 1812 absolutely. Or <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And, and so I just felt like it felt so real that we, it just opened my eyes in a different way. And so I felt like, Okay, not only was he there for me, but he made history feel like it was real people. And so I don't know if I'd say I disliked history before then, but I definitely really appreciated after his class. And then it was very disappointing to go to the next teacher who put his feet up on the desk reading the newspaper every day uh, and popped in the latest Ken Burns uh, VHS tape on the old machine uh, and then just kind of had us watch that for a bit. You know, I tried to get something out of it, but it wasn't the same as experiencing the stories of, uh, of the yesteryear. And so I wanted to not necessarily teach it the way he did. That's not my style. Um, 
I'd rather have there's no more. hot. There's there's no John Williams behind your <laughs> no John. I tried it a couple of times. Did I, you really? I I had a I interviewed for a position where uh, that teacher was actually on the hiring board, so I was applying for a job back at my alma mater, and he was uh, one of the faces in the room helping decide if I got the job or not. And so I tried to model after one of his uh, methods of teaching, and I tried to incorporate the music, but I didn't try to make it build on a lecture or anything. I just had them analyzing the music, etc., and it didn't quite go as well as his would have. Uh, yeah. I don't necessarily regret doing it that way. I think that was a solid lesson. I think I did use it a couple of times. I don't feel like making something for no reason. I want it to be usable, especially in a workshop situation. Uh, I try to, as I, at any time I do any kind of professional development, one of the things I kind of tell myself before I go is I am going to develop something or learn something at this professional development session, no matter how innocuous or stupid it sounds, I'm going to use something from this session. I want to learn something from this and apply it to my classroom and use it and see how it goes. Uh, and so that's the same way I did with that. Just even though I was just uh, interviewing for a position, I wanted to create a lesson that I felt was authentic and real and I wanted to use someday. Yeah. Uh, so that was, it was pretty effective. I liked it. I you say probably around that class or the impact of that class and that, that connection that you guys had is something that made you want to give that mm -hmm. to someone else? That connection just made me realize like that's that's what the teaching was all about to me that yeah. okay yeah there's a content and i know i've seen many colleagues that the content is the king and that's the only thing that matters like what here's my syllabus day one let's go we're talking about it you're going to be bored to tears in this class but here are the rules and i'm going to smack the crap out of this ruler on this garbage can and bother you if you're not paying attention to me and to me that was not what i felt the teacher connection is not that the teaching connection is only emotions and feelings but content is not the only reason they're there these yeah. are young people not just young learners um now some will definitely i mean content is definitely a part of what we do it's how we get to those points but we can definitely bring the content in with that discussion authentically and when you make that connection with the kids they're more willing to do the work they're more willing to learn with you and they're going to ask you more questions rather than just a couple of kids that are looking to get a grade or whatever the case may be and that's the connection i wanted to have with kids i always said like look i got a lot from one teacher this one time and i would like to be able to just have one student i've had that connection with down the road and share that moment with whether we still talk afterwards is not the important part i just want to be there in that moment for a kid that needs someone because for yeah. whatever reason they can't talk to their parents they can't talk to their friends maybe they don't have enough around maybe they just don't feel comfortable whatever the case is but to have that someone you can feel trust in as an adult figure and be that person to talk to that's not, i'm not there to hang out you know i'm there to be there and support them and what whatever they need right and then they can they can hang out at you know esports right <laughs> hang out a gaming club we have yeah. a, we've had uh, upwards of 100 kids a week come on out so i mean we have a school of about 2000 and i can pull in 100 kids a week no problem and some of those kids will then go on to go to the football game right afterwards or maybe they'll just go home because that's the only thing they do is my club and yeah. we bring in a lot of the kids from the special ed department so we have a, a lot of uh presence you know it's it's a diverse cast. Like if you come into that gaming club, it just feels like a subsection of the school because it's it's the one language pretty much all of the kids speak. And it's just amazing to have that moment. The kid with his arms in the air, man, these are my people. I am home. And so I can feel that on the inside too. Like, you know what? Yeah, I feel kind of at home too. You know, I'm a bit, you know, obviously I'm nerdy too. So that helps. But yeah, like it's 
nerd is kind of the language of pop culture right now in our country. And that's not just from Marvel and DC fault. It's kind of across right. the board that the nerd culture rules the pop culture right. and tapping into that's a lot of fun. Yeah. And we can do some Marvel and DC stuff too. I may or may not have a Tim Drake poster right <laughs> over there. <laughs> uh, I might have a collection of Funko Pops over there that not necessarily Marvel, but they are related to a lot of stuff we do. Uh, and some of the games we play, like our eSport titles, I have some of the little collectibles around just as kind of a party. And I want to make sure my room represents me as well as the content we work with. Yeah. So if I have something on the wall, there's a purpose um, that if a kid asks me a question, like, oh, absolutely. And I'm going to tell you a story about how that relates to chapter five, whatever the case is. <laughs> uh, but it's been, I've kind of moved away from the textbook, at least for my on-level class for psychology due to the COVID uh, concerns and how classrooms work. Uh, but my AP, I mean, we're kind of, since it's advanced placement, according to the college board and what they need, you know, I've kind of got a little bit of it. It's a little that internal struggle of like, well, here I am teaching to the test when I don't want to have to teach the test. But I mean, that's why they signed up for the classes, what they're looking for. So that's part of, you know, I have to do it kind of that way to really cover the materials. But once again, it all goes back to, I show the kids my grand kind of scheme and plan for things. And I know for sure when I was in school, I didn't consider that the teacher had anything planned out. I never really thought that there was like, you know, lesson planning. I thought it was just a list of everything they were going to do. Right. You know? So I never really thought about, oh, this teacher knows exactly possibly what we're doing in three weeks from now. Um, right. Or if they did, it would be like, oh, in two weeks, we're doing chapter two. Right. Because like yeah. maybe that was the furthest extent of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, being part of it, and then you get into those discussions of people like, well, I could teach. I was in school for, you know, 13 years. I know how school works. Like, eh, not really. Uh, but we're not trying to say we're better. It's just that, you know, we want to be, we want to feel like we're professionals, that we know what yeah. we're doing. We're experts in what we do. And we need to be given some room to be able to do so. And yeah. that's been some of the fortunate element of teaching an elective like I have is I'm given a lot of leeway since uh, there's not as many state standards coming down towards my specific content area. So I can yeah. hit some of the language arts standards, some of the social studies standards, but our district is not expecting me to cover every one of those like many of the content area teachers do. Yeah. So I have some freedom. So I, uh, uh, I do a positive psychology unit with my regular, my on-level psychology students uh, and my AP level, they talk about it a little bit, but they don't get to have as much fun with it. So it's, it's great to be able to have those real moments, hey, here's what the research says. It says, if you do this, this, and this, like our first unit this year is talking about what scientific happiness is. Yeah. How do you measure happiness? How can you measure happiness? And one goes, I don't know, smiles per hour. I'm like, okay, I don't know if you're trying to make a joke or not. Pretty but clever like, though. <laughs> I yeah. liked it, but uh, it's, that's not authentic. So, okay, here's what documentary shows. Here's what the research shows. And let's talk about how we can practice it. Not that I'm forcing them to be happy, but this is the science, this is the research and let's do it. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I don't want to take up too, too much of your time. So I, I'm going to keep, I've got a couple core questions for you left there. I have one more psychology, sociology related one for you, and then we'll move into a couple final, more fun esports related one. So one of the questions, the, the sociology psychology one is one that I like to end pretty much all my interviews on, no matter what the topic, but for you, is there something about teaching high schoolers and just teaching psychology and sociology that you wish more people talked about than when they talked about it. Is there a part of it that you think is just more important than people might think who are on the outside viewing what that must be like? As far as struggles or just content or? Just, just content and what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, the one I always stress with the kids the most is something that most Americans are very guilty of. 
Uh, I know I'm guilty of it from time to time. It's an essential psychological concept. Looking at um, confirmation bias is obviously a major issue when you talk about politics and you just yeah. see what you're looking for. And we talk about, okay, Friday the 13th, is it actually spooky, scary, or do you just remember it better because it's Friday the 13th? What about Friday the 12th when you saw that one dead dog on the side of the road? Ah, whatever. It's, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It's just Friday the 12th. Well, well you uh, Friday the 13th, it means something. But more importantly, looking at um, other people, like we brought up earlier, the idea that looking at people as living their own life. So maybe you got cut off in traffic. You don't know their story of why they're cutting you off. Maybe they're distracted. That's possible. You're right. But the real concept looking into maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're exhausted because they were up all night at the hospital with a loved one. Maybe they're yeah. concerned over something that happened at work, maybe a disagreement they had with a loved one, and you don't know their story, but we're quick to judge. And when it's us, we're great at admitting that, you know what, uh, I had a bad day. Uh, I said those things. It was hurtful. I'm sorry I lashed out in anger because, because, but we see somebody else. They're not allowed to have a because. They're just dumb. They're just bad drivers. And we like to name what state they're from when we look at their license plate. That's what we did in my family growing up. Yeah. Look at this Indiana idiot. Get I, I recently way. learned, my girlfriend's from Wisconsin, I recently learned that they have like a whole derogatory nickname for Illinois drivers. And I had no idea. It was like a it was like a madman Don Draper moment where I was like, we don't think about you guys at all. I, I, what do you mean? Other than when you cut us off in traffic, oh, come on, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, oh my God. Of course they're going slow. <laughs> But so we call that out and we say, man, look at this, this knucklehead, this numbskull, whatever the, whatever insult we feel like throwing out the window. Usually numbskull. Usually numbskull. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, and we don't stop to really consider even for a moment, why did they do that? Uh, you know, and so that's what I stress with my kids. I, granted, it's part of my content is what we have to talk about. We talk about that. And it's definitely an American issue more than it is in other countries. Whereas in uh, more collectivist societies, they view it the other way around, where they view it's always the situation that influences behavior and not the personal disposition. Whereas we're the other way around. We say, that's just who you are. That's the person you are. And so I just encourage my students and I encourage others to start thinking about it in that way. Like, okay, the kid that got a zero on that exam, just Give them a moment and think that maybe they're having a really bad day and start over with that process. Maybe they're not. Maybe they really are dumb. Maybe they really didn't prepare well enough. Maybe they really don't care about your class. But just this once, give them a moment, give them that benefit of a moment and saying, okay, what's really going on? And what's going on in your life? And how many times I used to, you know, thinking back to my early years of teaching, if I, I talked to a, a former student of mine on a Zoom call last year, just wanted to check in and uh, give her an interview real quick. Like I said, we're talking about happiness in class. And so yeah. I wanted to interview people about happiness and tell me your sources of happiness for you. And so I said, here's an excuse. I want to talk to my first students and the ones that added me at least. Uh, and so I talked to her in, about that. And it was that same kind of concept. Like, okay. Why do we care about what other people go through? Why don't we care about what other people go through? And it was a a great discussion to have, just having that connection still to a former student of that nature and just kind of being able to, it's great knowing that I have people that I have touched their lives that I haven't seen in years. And they still, they tell stories about something that happened in my class or some yeah. activity we did. And I'm not even thinking about them. I'm not thinking about that year. I'm not thinking about the project we did, but it's still there. That, that legacy is kind of lasting. That's another I mean, thing yeah, that my mom says all the time where she's like, you know, they might not remember every single piece of the content, but they are absolutely going to remember the way that you made them feel. Right. Yep. Yeah. And so it's, 
not like I tell my kids, we're not having a hippie moment here. We're just talking a little <laughs> yeah. bit about our, our yeah. experience because yeah. it matters. And just being able to stop and say, okay, right now, just consider for next time. Maybe your teacher doesn't hate you. Maybe that's not why you failed that assignment. Maybe yeah. they don't hate you. And we could turn that around. Maybe you uh, hate your students and that's why you gave them the grade you did. I know there has been several times that I got a little bit of a internal satisfaction when a certain student got a low grade. Uh, not that I would intentionally lower it on purpose or anything of that nature, right. but uh, it, I mean, that's, that's human, uh, having that response to a kid that's been giving you some trouble. Uh, but it's definitely one of the moments I want to really leave the students with. I try to talk to my wife and my family about it, and I don't know if they're as excited about it as I am, but um, I try to leave that lasting thing of, okay, sometimes, well, when people act, they act the way they do, and it makes sense to them. Yeah. That's the one thing I always stress too. Interesting. It made sense to them at the time. Maybe they can't put it into words, but they acted in a way that they thought was the way they should have. And then later, wait a minute, what was that about? I'm sorry, you know, but you got to give that chance of maybe it's the situation. Maybe they had too much caffeine. Maybe they had too little caffeine. We're all addicted to that too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jeff, my last question for you. This is kind of the obligatory one. And it, it, you know, it brings back to, this will be a little bit of a walk before I get to the actual question. Because when I was doing my research and I was thinking about our conversation, I was thinking about, you know, the esports club and like we mentioned with like League of Legends, we're like, these are like, you need a computer, you need a great internet source. And I was thinking about like, I'm not that old, but it feels like when I was like 15, technology has shifted a thousand years. And I was like, I remember being like 15 and, you know, I, I, I so badly wanted to be one of those kids that had like a huge group of like Modern Warfare 2 people like going online. <laughs> and my house, you know, way out in the country in Sandwich, Illinois, in you know, the cornfield in my backyard, we literally did not have Wi-Fi. So I like, literally could. So I had to walk to my neighbor's house to play in his basement. <laughs> and that just feels like I'm Laura Ingalls Wilder on Little House in the Prairie in 1850 or something like that. That's such a long time ago. But basically what I'm getting at is that like oh, most of my favorite games were single player games because I, you know, we didn't have, they just, I wasn't playing them online and I was thinking that you know some of my favorite games of all time are like Batman Arkham City uh Pokemon Crystal is another one up there so I feel like classics yes we're, we're talking about video games I have to do the obligatory one Jeff what is for you what's your favorite game of all time I'm going to show my age with it because it's going to it always goes back to what you were doing and how old you were when you were doing it. Same thing happens to all of our likes. Another yeah. psychology concept we talk about when your favorite music, not only is it when you were a teenager, typically what you remember as your best memories of music, but it also is when your parents were teenagers, uh, oddly enough. So you like the music you liked as a teenager in high school. And then you also like the music your parents liked when they were teenagers. You heard it growing up. Is that why so, I listen to Steely uh, Dan? <laughs> that that yeah. could be it. <laughs> that's why I listen to some bread and some queen. That's what my dad listened to all the time. But yeah. that's not that's not my thing. That was his thing. But OK, so the gaming, uh, we had uh, an 8-bit machine. Uh, we had the Sega Master System growing up. Granted, my dad brought his uh, his Atari 2600, Atari 5200. He had an old Pong machine at my mom's uh, dad's house. Um, so, but really, the the one I sat down with the most, the one I played the most, was a game called Wonder Boy. Uh, it's actually got recently remastered, remade for current generation. They just kind of updated the graphics, and you could press a toggle switch to make it back to the original 8-bit graphics uh, and the music. And it was just kind of an adventure game, uh, a chance to morph into different animals and go fight the bosses and stuff like that. But it was just the 
the uh, it was difficult. All those games were hard back then. Yeah. It was because they were tra- they were designed to eat your quarters. That was the whole purpose of those games. And there was uh, I read an article recently talking about a game on the Super Nintendo, the Lion King movie game, that was intentionally made more difficult because of blockbuster video. Uh, the game was. Uh, they didn't want the game to be able to be defeated within one rental period of the three days at the time. So they wanted the game to be too hard for to be defeated in three days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so a lot of what those a games scheme. intentionally were created that way as a scheme. Well, now we've got other schemes. We've got monetization. We've got right, microtransactions. Uh, right, yeah. They've got psychologists on hand that are working to make you more addicted to these games. That's what those timers are for on those different Facebook games and phone games because they know you'll come back to press the button in an hour. So they know they've got you returning. Otherwise, you might just play at the wants to be done so they want to create a reason for you to come back so back then that that tactic was well just make sure you got to pop more quarters in so here i am playing this game that was adapted from an arcade game but it was hard so every time you made progress it felt like a great sense of relief and i went back to it and played it again and i did okay i i'm probably better playing it now than i was back then i would think that i wouldn't be as good because i'm not playing it as much now but i either look back and look at my previous self like man i was really bad at games or <laughs> how did i not yeah. see this or obvious I was, clue i was a child also yeah <laughs> yeah and because that memory that rose tinted glasses of that time period like man this is really hard and you go to play it like either it's hard because it's intentionally difficult or it's hard because you just weren't very good at it. Yeah. Just like gave up. I had friends <laughs> that like played Pokemon when they were kids and like, didn't realize that you could get like uh, a, a flash HM, which like basically like, like didn't realize that you could get a flashlight to make your way through a dark cave and just spent <laughs> hours aimlessly barging into walls until they got out. They're like, I had no idea that it was easier. <laughs> And we had games that my brother and I would play a lot. I'd always force him to be the second player for uh, many reasons. One yeah. being that I was older. So, you know, he would not get the good controller or anything of that nature. He'd get the controller that kind of works. Yeah. Uh, but we definitely um, play that together. And it's, it's the language we had together. And it's the language our kids have today. So it's definitely something that needs to be done with them and for them. So that's why I'm glad I'm able to do so. It's been such a treat for me to, uh, like, if you tell myself when I'm a kid that, okay, you're going to be a teacher someday. And on top of it, you're going to be in charge of the gaming club. You're going to have the latest game consoles on hand in the school library for kids to hang out and play with every Friday and just kind of chill, just have a space to be and not have to worry about anything and then go to the and then go to the football game afterwards and then do it again next week. Like, no, there's no way they're going to let me do that in school. No, there's absolutely no way. (laughs) Or on top of it, tell me that I can do it with a virtual reality headset. Uh, it's, It's just because <laughs> I the game I, I there's a game show I loved watching when I was a kid called Nick Arcade and in that game uh, the participants got to be inside the video game so they're interacting with the green screen by waving their hands and trying to collect power-ups and move around physically doing challenges and such I always wanted to be on that show but some of these VR games kind of get you into that space where you're able to interact with the game in that way and that's yeah. Just great to work with the kids and have them see them have the fun and just get to know each other. And, you know, we did a discussion one day just kind of passing around. Um, I had a I don't know what I had. Uh, I think it was actually I have it over here. Uh, I had my little uh, fallout uh, yeah. vault boy here. And we passed that around the room and everyone talked about why they were there, what games they wanted to play and some moment they had in gaming that they resonated with. And every kid shared. And I saw one kid look at another and he go, you know what? I've seen you before, you know, but I never had a reason to talk to you. I'm glad we got to talk right now because you and I both play the same game. So let's go play and talk. 
Yeah. And so it's just like, hey, <laughs> they're doing that thing. They're humans. They're existing together in a space. And they're not worried about all those other barriers that prevent kids from spending time with each other. You know, race, whatever the case, uh, social and economic status, all the grade, all of those things that might be a barrier for a kid ever getting to know each other. The one common denominator, common denominator they play games. And it gets so many kids to open up. I talked to one therapist that said that if they have a kid that's not opening up, that's all they have to say. Hey, what games do you play? And then suddenly here it goes. He wants to tell you all about whatever game he is that he's playing. So it's uh, just great to be able to allow our kids to have that space where they can be themselves and they don't feel like they need to try to hide. Because for me as a kid growing up, it was very much like video game is what I do at home and I can never mention it at school. Yeah, That's not allowed. You're going to be in trouble if you mention it. If you ever manage to sneak a handheld into school, you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> And it's going to be taken away. And now, yeah, it might still get taken away. Uh, it depends if they're using it appropriately. Um, right. I mean, I saw a kid today during class think that I wasn't going to notice that he was playing Tetris while I was teaching. Um, See, that's why they, they brought those uh, TI-84, those uh, graphic calculators that had games on it. That was the secret hack when I was in high school. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, it is getting to that point. I am getting older. I'm definitely missing out on a lot of the memes that the kids are doing. And one of those definitions of the word cool definitely involves age. Yeah. We don't think that we don't want to think it is. We could think we could stay hip. But no, that's literally part of that definition of cool has to do with age. So we uh, they're letting us know that we are no longer the cool ones, but they're willing to put up with us from time to time. And that's the parts we enjoy. <laughs> I love it. All right, Jeff. Well, again, hey, man, thanks so much for taking some time out of your schedule on a Friday yeah. to chat. I had a blast. I hope you had fun talking about yeah. all this stuff. I really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. We got some more tryouts to get ready for next week. So, you know, the esports thing is go. We are absolutely on point. Thanks so much for listening to Teachers Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. It's how we get great guests like Jeff. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.ed. Wherever you're in the podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating, share it, whatever you can do. It's the best way to get even more people, even more perspectives on this show. You can subscribe to our newsletter over at WNIJ.org. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for the music you hear each and every episode. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with a brand new, very special episode of Teacher's Lounge next week. See ya.